Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley here. It's time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And uh, today we're going to look at a topic is going to be the Democratic candidates. A lot of questions coming in from the listeners of this show saying what's going on. We had a wonderful uh, two sessions, two nights this last week uh, from Detroit uh, with uh, 10 candidates on each night and uh, a lot of different ideologies expressed by the different candidates. So uh, with that in mind, I had took me about two seconds to figure out who should I invite or actually ask back to the TIPS program to talk about all these ideologies and where they're going and all the candidates and the Democratic Party and guess who I invited back. Okay, I invited back uh, Dr. Chip McLeod and uh, uh, a professor, assistant professor, uh, Joe Greenback from the, uh, uh, what is it now? It is the History and Political Science program here at Dixie State University. So welcome back, gentlemen. Thanks, Bob. Hello, Bob. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Uh, there's a lot that went on in the debates. Um and so I'd really like to just talk about each of those, and then you can bring in uh, selective uh, candidates that uh, maybe caught your eye and expressed their opinion or the opinion you're expressing. But I wanted to look at uh, our health care, uh, health and health care. I want to look at uh, climate change. I want to look at what they said about the, uh, the ongoing immigration crisis that we're uh, experiencing now here in the U.S. and on the southern border. Uh, and, uh, maybe if we have some time taking a look at looking at pay discrimination, uh, gender discrimination, as far as equal pay for equal work. So maybe if we can squeeze that in at the end. So I really would like to, the, most of my, uh, callers came in with questions about the proposal for healthcare. You've got them all over the board. You've got some of the candidates indicating they wanted, uh, uh, Medicare for all, uh, others are saying that, uh, Let's uh, shore up the uh, Obamacare or the uh, Affordable Care Act. Others are saying, let's do away with it, and let's just adopt universal health care for everybody, and that's the way it's going to be. So with that all in mind and uh, what transpired this last week, all of those particular ideas were cast forward by various candidates. And so let me just turn it over to both of you and pick up where we are. So let's take a look and see what do these things really mean. Okay, what's the pros and the cons, and uh, just for the benefit of our listeners out there in tip land. Okay, so who wants, who wants to start off? Well, let me say that this is the, the typical era in a presidential campaign where we can try to help uh, just like anybody else can, but what's being created is, is a kind of politically induced cognitive dissonance uh, translation. There are too many candidates. And to the extent that there are distinctions to be made between and among them, we can, again, help out to some extent. But until their poll numbers begin to flag, they run out of money, and then we have a a manageable number of people to deal with, we're going to be talking all over the map. So, and, and... I'm reminded the other day, of course, they've been giving us the typical history lesson, and uh, one of the really good ones from the past was uh, 76. Jimmy Carter emerged from a pretty big opening field of Democrats and that sort of thing, but we can say some useful and, I hope, uh, productive things, but it's, it's too soon to get a real handle, but there are some things to be learned from watching and listening to Okay, just, I'm just really what I want, what they're asking for is for us to give information as to what do we mean by universal health care? What do we mean by Medicare expansion for all? What do we mean, uh, what's that have to do with, well, here's some of the big questions. If we go to uh, the expansion of Medicare or we adopt certain, what about those members, those union members that have wonderful benefits, like the automotive, United Automotive Workers have wonderful benefits, and we're requesting them to relinquish those. Those are the kinds of questions that are coming in. So, Well, the only thing I'll say initially before, of course, Joe can jump in, is that uh, I, I think the, the government can do something more useful than it's doing to help Americans with their health care. The government uh, is, is not the solution in and of itself. And I'm an American who, and I'm still processing every time I hear this, what are you telling me? <laughs> You're going to take away my private insurance uh, and, and or the, the right to have any 
I don't think I like that. <laughs> but uh, then, then their plans keep changing to some extent as well. So we're talking philosophy and then practicality and where the two intersect. Who, who knows? Um, I would say that uh, it, this is really strange to me. Uh, the polling generally says we're a center-right country. We like free markets for most kinds of things and uh, uh, for the government to kind of step in and, uh, and uh, at the margins uh, make sure everybody's taken care of that in a capitalist system might not be. The thing that I've noticed in, in the debates that we've got going on is that virtually every one of the 20 are, have taken a position that is beyond the, uh, what at the time was considered a very progressive Obamacare position. Uh, even Mr. Biden, uh, Vice President Biden, who, who uh, claims to be running defending Obamacare, yes. is now proposing uh, a public option, it's called. That is, the government would set up a insurance company, wouldn't be a private company, and then anybody who can't get insurance from a private company or anybody who wants to could buy insurance from a uh, the government-run insurance company that's run by run from Washington. Uh, the critique of that usually is uh, government is not constrained by the kind of cost structures that private insurance is. can subsidize what it wants. Uh, it can pay doctors less than what the doctors bill, that kind of thing. And over time, that turns into a single-payer system because it basically drives all of the other, uh, all of the other uh, private insurance companies out of business. That's uh, the people used the TVA back during the Great Depression, which was supposed to be government-run uh, electric electricity distribution that would compete with the private ones. But pretty soon, the private ones were in the area where the TVA provided insurance electricity were forced out of business, essentially. Uh, that means that virtually all of the candidates on the stage are backing something that goes way beyond Obamacare. I'm not sure that that flies in a general election. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and the country has really moved on this particular issue and wants the government involved, but uh, that was my, my first big takeaway about... Uh, about all of that now did you want some sort of definition scheme about the various yeah, the, kinds I, of health care systems that might people right might? some of the inquiries that i've received uh they they're not quite sure they understand what universal health care is what that what does that buy you uh, what is the e expansion of medicare what does that buy you um and, uh, and what uh, Chip already brought up here, there's concern on the part of union members and certain unions that have worked hard over the years, negotiated good benefit programs, and they're scared that they're going to be forced to relinquish that. And from what I understand, one of the proposals hidden away is that you will relinquish your private insurance. A form of that was already part of Obamacare in the way it was initially uh, uh, legislated. It was never put into practice. But they were going to uh, undermine or tax Cadillac. These union unions uh, generally are able to negotiate. Uh, we'll pay for everything kind of healthcare programs uh, without very much of a deductible that a person has to pay. And the corporations, in order to get the union contract, would say, "Hey, we'll uh, we'll we'll foot that bill." They were going to tax those Cadillac programs. That tax was never put into place, but the people who are going after, uh, who want universal health care of some kind, uh, that's been a target uh, all along because you can't, government can't finance that for everybody. We just don't have the money, okay? Uh, we may not, one of the big issues, and it came up in the second debate the other night, was uh, how are we going to pay for yeah. uh, Medicare for all, which is basically turning the United States into a system like Canada in which the government pays for health insurance. The doctors and the hospitals are still free in the market to charge what they want. They're private entities. But the government 
is the health care system. And under Mr. Sanders' plan, and Mrs. Warren is very close to that, everybody would be basically funneled into Medicare. And Sanders says that means we get rid of all of the private insurance. Yeah, he did say that. Now, his claim is that uh, uh, everybody who's getting private insurance is having money taken out of their paycheck every, every month to, to pay for that. We don't, it's money we don't see. It's part of that uh, withholding stuff that, that's down there. And uh, the university here, it's on the, uh, something around $12,000 a year that I don't get that goes to pay for the healthcare system that the university runs. And uh, Sanders thinks we'll take that money and raise taxes and, uh, on everybody, mainly on the rich, but also on people in the middle class and that way we'll be able to cover not just everybody who has health care and some people wouldn't get the cadillac plans that they have so the union people might might be concerned about that ships concerned about that but uh everybody then gets covered in the whole country the way they are in canada right so so the other de blasio was clear about where the money's coming from if you recall that he he kept saying that and it will mean higher taxes for for everybody and uh another one of the concerns that many people uh, are voicing uh, i'm one of them is uh canada's system is one that people like sanders and others of course look at but to me it's a question of management as well the united states of america has uh nine times the population of canada and you can't just plug this in. I, quite frankly, I don't have a lot of faith that it will be terribly well managed when we're paying all this money and we're promised uh, what we're going to get for yeah. it. I'm, I'm not confident that it's going to work that way. And once again, um, I'm not sure what people's attitudes from physicians, people in various aspects of the healthcare field and, and what have you, will do as we try to perpetrate something like this if it's passed because when we when we here in america mess with what i'll call the market to that extent um i don't think anybody could predict today what that will look like right and here just a comment to what you're saying uh one of the one of the callers that uh, was a veteran and he said are you telling me that you have faith in the united states government because look what they're doing to the veterans administration and look at all the fiascos going on there and that's the way we're going to treat our our population well and and once again i just i'll I'll revoice a practical concern of mine i'm sure other people's as well is that we have one of the the largest populations of a nation state on the planet earth and trying to manage something like that and make it function effectively and efficiently um, is a huge job, and I'm, I'm skeptical. Okay. The um, economic problem is, every, like every other economic problem, that is, medical care is a scarce good. There's not as much as everybody wants. And so, in some way, you have to ration it. In a market, you ration it with prices. Those who can pay uh, get the services, and those who can't don't. Uh, that's the thing that uh, the people on that stage uh, reject. They don't like that, and they can't. They can't run on that in this climate, uh, in, in to their way of thinking, which is part of the problem. That, right. That's what they think. Right now, if you go to Canada and take a poll, people love their healthcare system. Yes, because you can go to the doctor and you have a card. And you go see your primary care doctor, and you get your kid gets treated, and you get your shots, and you get your medicines, and and all of that's taken care of. The problem comes that the government of Canada doesn't have enough money to pay for all of the uh, higher cost procedures that people, that a primary care physician might refer them. You may not get the kidney dialysis or the heart disease treatment. And so you line, you line people up, you cue them. Okay, you have to ration it yep. some way. Everything's cued. And they just simply say, this is what we'll pay for and this is what we won't. If you're over 85, sorry, we're not going to pay for that for you. There's somebody younger that we think will be contributing a little bit longer. We'll pay for theirs. And you have floods of people. And it was in the news when Obamacare was being debated from Canada who have money 
coming to the United States to get these higher cost procedures or flying to Thailand or somewhere, someplace like that. Uh, nobody has figured out how to get, get out of the fact that this is an economic good, it's scarce, and some, you've got to find some mechanism to ration whatever it is. Well, and, and again, um, there are practicalities to all this, and the people vying for the nomination now are all, so far as I know, especially the strong contenders, uh, Bernie Sanders and, and uh, Warren and others, they've crossed the line and are arguing, I think quite importantly, in, in this political season, that health care is a right, and uh, Americans are certainly... Um, debating that sort of thing and as we've already established when you start talking basic econ and and the world's full of things that we all want and need and whatnot and scarcity is real you you it's a complicated scenario it always has been but most of those people aren't going to debate that they've already gone to the place where in a place like the United States of America that's, we're not discussing that any longer how do we do it? That's the question. But, you know, from the little kid in the, the ghetto who falls down and scrapes his knee to, to somebody 85 years old who needs incredibly expensive surgery or whatnot, everybody deserves it. And uh, once again, how do we pay for it? How do we get it to people? Um, I I haven't heard anything that, that really impresses me as something that will work well. One thing they threw out in, during the debate, and Saunders brought this up, uh, is the cost of prescriptions here in the United States as compared to Canada and some other countries. Uh, what he said was, I, yesterday, meaning the day before his debate on, in Detroit, uh, he said he took uh, 10 retirees across the border into Windsor, Ontario, and got their insulin for one-tenth of what they have to pay for that same prescription here in the United States. And it's ironically, he said, and it's all produced by U.S. corporations. He said that has got to stop. In other words, what he's claiming is that the current system itself is ripping off. The pharmaceutical industry is ripping them off. And this is all part of that health care. And what he said, with, with my proposal, the government would be the catalyst. They would be the ones that negotiate for the large pool of the United States of America for their population for all drugs. So is that, is that a selling point, or can that be implemented somewhere else along the line? Well, what people hear, the, the people who run Big Pharma, and I read a nice article the other day about how much the top companies are earning every year, that, that uh, I, I can imagine those people watching the debates and the blood draining from their faces at the, uh, the proposals of some of these people. Um, they're making plenty of money. It's a very complex scenario, but there is no doubt about the fact that they charge what they're charging, as oversimplified as this sounds. The, the truth is there because they can. Um, I'd like to modify that just a little bit. Please. It takes $2 billion on average right now, the last numbers I heard, to develop a new pharmaceutical drug. Uh, each one of those drugs uh, is... The last average I also heard was there are 25 failed experiments in the drug company compared to the successful one, okay? So the cost of the pill is minuscule, but the cost of the research behind the 25 failures you can't predict ahead of time. And so uh, the big drug companies have a huge cost structure that they have to cover in order to stay in business. Uh, one of the things that, they, that they've done, this is, is in the United States, since we don't regulate drug prices in, in any way, or maybe that'll change after this next election, uh, President Trump has, is doing something about that. Uh, he, he's got his uh, health and human services person working on that. He wants to be head of the curve on that. But in order to recover all of those costs, they charge lots and lots of money for, for these new drugs in the U.S. market. Now, every foreign company, country that wants these drugs, uh, most of them, I think all of them, are operating on some sort of government-controlled system. So they get in go in and negotiate a, a lower margin price on the drugs that they ship, say, to Canada 
than, than you get in the United States. Uh, they don't innovate. Pretty, you know, 70% of all new pharmaceutical drugs that cure stuff come from the United States because of the profits, because we allow companies to profit to, to you know, make money when they find right. a new thing. They don't, they don't innovate much in countries where uh, the government uh, runs either the health insurance system or the health care system because all of the money is budgeted to health care as a right, as Mr. Sanders is saying. So the claim would be, you, you know, maybe you can get the drug companies to charge more to Canada and less to people in the United States. You could work around that. But ultimately, we're playing with a little bit of fire here if we want to you know, find ways to deal with the cancers and the heart disease and the other killers that that are uh, around, because it'll be primarily in the United States that those those innovations come because of the profit-based system that we still have here. Yeah, the complaint is on the part of the viewers is that why do we have to incur the cost? Why do we have to suffer? Our income is limited also, well, yeah. especially they, the retirees. They, they can There's farm it out to some extent. Um, what, what Joe is, is talking about is, is a possibility. Okay. Uh, for all the areas of the world that benefit from what goes on here. But, again, the simple fact of the matter is that all of these companies are operating nicely in the black. And I, I haven't read uh, the particulars of what Trump is trying to do. It's one of the things that uh, you won't hear me doing this often that I praise him for. He sounds serious. Yeah. That I'm, He sounds serious about trying to do something uh, with the cost of drugs. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I think there's a way to to do that but again i would continue to point out that that uh, uh the cost of research and that sort of thing these are capitalists that they're not in it for grins and giggles but once again if you read um, whoever you want to read uh, the, the big pharmaceutical companies they are making plenty of money and i realize when somebody comes to their corporate heads and tells them we think you should make less money uh, they don't like that, but I don't know why. There's a there's there's a, a, a way to to moderate this to some extent. But drugs cost too much. They, they people can't afford them. That's the simple fact of life. Okay. Uh, we talked about then the universal health care. That would be uh, the one thing that's in favor of the people that have expressed being in favor of it is that you've already brought that up, Professor Green. You indicated that people can wake up in the morning with a cold and not have fear of gee, I can't afford it because of my insurance or it's not covered or whatever it may be. You just get up. But do you not think, this is part of the argument, do you not think that over the long term with people do not have that fear, whether it be uh, medical doctors or optometrist or dentist or whatever, people are take care of themselves because they don't have to incur all the, the wrath of their, of their respective uh, insurance companies uh, all the filing, uh, we, we, we heard stories about when the uh, Affordable Care Act was being negotiated about different insurance companies that had boiler rooms filled with people that gave you, gave you responses that are canned that have forced you to write letters and more letters. You ended up with a file two feet thick, you know, trying to justify and get payment made. So what Sanders and Warren and the rest of them are saying, those days are gone. If you get, wake up in the morning or your children wake up in the morning and not feeling well, take them to the doctor. Take get the necessary medication. Let's get them well and back and be productive again. Whereas the system we have now, we have to worry about, can I afford it? What do I have to give up if I go to the doctors? I'm the poor, the poor pharmacist at the uh, drugstores. They're like, they're turning into a doctor. Okay, what's over the counter, what's cheap, and what's well, working? Well, Warren's response was, was kind of comical and, and pithy at the same time, I think, because uh, we've all done this, even with the best of health care. Um, you keep filling out forms in many instances because uh, at the end of the day, it's one more opportunity for the insurance company to deny the coverage. Absolutely. And it, it's, uh, it's this morass of stuff. And um, I'm, I'm sort of laughing. The government's going to get involved, and there'll be less paperwork. Uh, okay, if you say so. But the paperwork is going to be between the doctors yeah, and, yeah. and the government. You as a... I'm, I'm here. Just think, I'll see it when I believe it, should that come to pass. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. just one of those messengers. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm relaying some of this stuff. This, this is a little off topic, since no Democrat would go where I'm about to go. Uh, the current healthcare system in the United States is a mess. Uh, 
And one of the reasons for that is various kinds of government rules. Uh, for example, the one that says uh, uh, businesses get to deduct all of the money they pay for health insurance, which started during World War II. Uh, my view would be uh, a system in which people actually pay out of their pocket for what they get would be one that, that would uh, uh, run way more efficiently. It's not the one we have. We're not going to have it. We're going to have something else. But the one we have now is really bad yeah. uh, for all the reasons you're, ma you're mentioning, which is why there's this move to reform it. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. I'm getting the high sign from the boss over here. So uh, this is Tip's program. We'll be right back. Don't go away. We're going to continue on talking about health and health care, and uh, we've got a couple of other issues that we need to discuss over the second half. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is Tips, and we're talking about the uh, Democratic candidates and the debates that took place in Detroit and some of the ideologies that were expressed by the various candidates and uh, the topic that we're going to continue with we're a little bit here is on health and health care and some of the proposals. Uh, and we, uh, when we left just a few minutes ago, uh, Professor Green was indicating that it's a mess. The current, the current uh, health system is a mess, but I guess throwing it back out to both of you, out of all these proposals that they came up with, which one do you think is going to be the best fit for the American public? Is it universal health care? I, it... I think, as Chip pointed out, that these people, uh, every one of the plans, that every, every one of the 20 on the stage, was it 20? 20, 20 on the stage, have gone beyond Obamacare. Five, what was it, eight years ago, Obamacare was controversial. Okay? Yes, it was. It was unpopular. Uh, passing the bill uh, meant that a huge number of members of the House of Representatives in the Senate, who were Democrats, got defeated in 2010. Okay, that's that was one of the primary reasons. So, all of these 20 on the stage are now making proposals that go well beyond what Obamacare was able to uh, establish, which was unpopular eight years ago. So the question becomes, is the country, has the country changed significantly in its willingness to have the government be in, way more involved in health care than we were eight years ago? And it, and it has to do with many, many factors, and I don't know whether we're going to have time to get into who the pundits think will actually elect the next president, but the other thing... And what I'm about to suggest won't help you get in to see your doctor, but um, as an historian, I can't pass up the opportunity to mention the fact that this is a new shift in the uh, philosophy of the Democratic Party. We've been, we've been doing this since the, the Great Depression, uh, with the safety nets, the, all the things that FDR, and we've on and on and on, and as Joe was just saying, uh, Obamacare was somewhat controversial less than a decade ago, and now we've completely abandoned that way further down the progressive road. And it seems to be the, uh, the cry of the entire Democratic Party now. That's, that's a big deal. Yeah. And uh, as I was mentioning, I think, to you before we started, one of the things the Democrats have to um, consider is who are they as a party? They're going to have to come together at the appropriate time if they want to win the election, uh, if they want to oust Donald Trump. And the question is, as always, who's going to be voting for them? And as people are grappling with the question, is the party too far left, too far right, what have you, and as will be seen through the candidate that's selected, lots and lots of people increasingly are arguing that uh, – folks that are sitting around this table today talking about it aren't going to make the difference in uh, 2020. You're right. Uh, and if you're talking about, to speak to what Joe is, is saying, um, have we shifted that much? Maybe. Um, there's a lot of conversation to be had about, it. is it accurate to uh, suggest that voters in their 20s up to maybe 40 at the latest, women, non-white Americans, they're they're going to elect the next president. Um, and if you believe that, if, if the information is accurate in the, in the polling and the research and whatnot, then that 
may embolden people like Bernie Sanders and people who uh, want to support what he's offering. It, uh, there has been an increase in the enrollment within, with uh, Obamacare. There has been an increase. Right. I think, so, and bring up to your point, I think people got a little bit accustomed to that. Even some of my conservative friends who were dead against this, this ACA, this Obamacare, and find out that they're enrolled. So it's absolutely amazing. Uh, but the thing you have to remember about that okay. is all of Obamacare was never implemented. The only part right. that was implemented is the private insurance, the uh, uh, people who purchased their own insurance, who didn't get it through their business. There were severe regulations that were supposed to come into impact that were going to impact all of us who have uh, insurance through, through business, okay? None of that ever happened. So the only thing right. that's happened is more people are now insured than were before uh, who didn't have insurance before and, you know, were a compassionate people. That worked great. We didn't go after the insurance that people get through their business. That yeah. was all Obama wouldn't let the regulations go through, and then the Republicans repealed a bunch of stuff so it can't. And uh, uh, our 180 million Americans who get insurance through their business going to go for a program that eventually terminates it. And every one of the people on that stage is basically arguing some form of, of either right now or eventually we're going to terminate insurance that you have. A couple of the candidates did bring up that concern, you know, okay, that uh, they represent, their, their constituents are union-oriented, uh, yeah, especially in Michigan. <laughs> Mr. Ryan from Ohio, who... Yeah. And they got shot, he got shot down, I guess, right. by Miss Warren. So. Yeah, and that's part of the debate. Well, and they, they used very <laughs> revealing political language as well because they kept uh, telling uh, all the Americans listening that this plan, that plan, or what have you, well, at some point in the not-too-distant future, make private insurance illegal. And when people say, what's going to, what do you mean? It's illegal. Well, yeah, the net effect is what Joe's talking about. It, it'll take it away from you. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to get much clarity until next year. Yeah. Um, and th we may see some more changes depending on which way the, the polls tell these people yeah. the wind's blowing. But, yeah, they, they're all on the same page there. It's a big new day. Yep, I agree. That's not part of the debate. This is something we have to do, and it, it's a monumental change in who these people in this party are. Yeah, I, I would think, and I'm going to go along with what Joe had to say about, uh, and you yourself there, Chip, about uh, President Trump bring, really focusing in on this prescription cost issue. If that can be resolved some way, uh, that's going to buy a lot. Well, it, it, it'll, it'll help people financially, and it, uh, I'll... I'll just go on record. I don't see where Donald Trump is the president interested in building much in the way of goodwill for whatever that's worth. But this will build a lot of goodwill. I mean, I, you know, he's not my favorite president, but I think he's doing the right thing here. And I, I applaud him for that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to switch gears. You ready for this one? This are is we going to the second or third? There are some of us who know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> no comment at this time. Okay. How about uh, let's talk about your favorite subject, Professor Green, climate change. <laughs> climate change. That was brought up, and uh, the majority of the uh, candidates all indicated we are in the pro process of a major swing as far as climate change. And according to the uh, scientists, uh, we have until 2030 to do take major changes, and they were attacking President Trump for withdrawing from the Paris Accord. Uh, they were uh, saying that we got we got to take things more drastic than ever before. They brought up about the People's Republic of China putting in I don't know how many thousand of um, of uh, charging stations and how they're all going to electric. And France just declared that also all their vehicles are going to be electric. Uh, Andrew Yang is arguing we already need to move to higher and, ground. And Yang is out there just pumping all those numbers at us. Uh, and he's one of the candidates uh, for to become president uh, by the Democratic parties. And he really hit home on the second second uh, night. So I'm going to throw it back at you. I, I, know, I know, Professor Green, because we've had this discussion before. <laughs> Climate change. Uh, let me throw, first of all, is it real? 
Oh, yeah. Climate war- warmed uh, at least 1.2 degrees Fahrenheit in the uh, 20th century. And we've had the warmest decade globally? Uh, it's, we, we've warmed, and we've had uh, some of the years during the decade have been, uh, the claim is, you know, this is all within a margin of error, okay? Uh, the warmest year on record, you've heard that a couple of times, yeah. But what but, about the polar te- caps melting? What about the te- seas rising? What about the uh, temperatures rising when, and when, viruses and all kinds of things? When the earth it. warms, stuff like that happens. Uh, you and I this summer were in Switzerland and saw a glacier retreating. Uh, Big time. Huge, huge time, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, there's going to be a northwest passage uh, fairly Early quickly. Yes. Wildfire seasons, longer and more devastating. Yes. Yeah. Uh, All of that. The question is, uh, well, there are several questions, and one of them that just uh, bothers me greatly is the idea that we have 10 years or we're dead, kind of a... That, that came out in the Green New Deal. There was n- nothing, that's, nothing that's, in science that I know I was going to bring that up of, next, the Green New Deal. Nothing in okay. science that I'm aware of that, that indicates uh, anything... Well, they like were the, using that. The, you, they were using I, those years. They said 2030 to 2050. And I know. Do or die there, type of thing. There, there's some language in the last uh, uh, climate report from the UN, the Intergovernmental uh, ICPP, Intergovernmental Climate, whatever it is, okay, uh, that says if we don't act within 10 years, that by uh, the year 2021, 2031. 20, no, the end of the century. What would that be? Oh, okay. Oh. Well, the, the end of 2100. the 2100. 2100. Would right. that be right? Right. By right. the year 2100. Yes. yes. Uh, that we it would have cost us around 3% of GDP in order to deal with the warming that's potentially going to go on. But uh, most of the, you know, based on historical trends, that's always tough. And the predictions is GDP is going to grow a thousand percent this de- this century, so we that will you know reduce total GDP three percent of you know the thousand percent it's going to grow, uh, and the argument at least that the people at the United in their new United Nations report is we will we just adjust we'll be rich enough to build barriers or whatever it is we need to do in order not build houses in the middle of forests and that kind of thing uh, so that we, you know, we can deal with it. But the idea of radically changing the whole economy based on uh, the idea that we alone are causing all of this, I don't think we know that we alone are causing all of this. I don't think that's what they're saying. I, I don't, don't think they're not, they're not saying that we alone are causing this. They're just saying it's they're happening. They're s- saying humans uh, are a significant factor. Right. And there there is some scientific evidence of that, but what we're all talking about, oh, yeah. and, sir, and certainly what Joe's talking yeah. about, is that what, what do you do? In fact, the bottom line is what's most cost-effective? to completely try and retool the economy or go with reports like those coming out of the UN uh, where we can rely on um, economic growth and development and the net effect's the same. We, we don't suffer and it's easier to fix it over the long haul because we can do that instead of, again, um, causing some, what most people against this argue is an, an undoable economic upheaval. I don't know anybody who knows how to fix an economy and all of the uh, interacting parts, the inter, right. uh, interdependent parts that go into something as complex as an economy and fix it and make us better off. I don't think anybody knows how to do that. Bits and pieces of the, the so-called Green New Deal would probably be a, a good idea, but they have to be increment. You can't do it overnight. I mean, can you imagine the disruption in the world's biggest economy? If, if, and they can say those things. I don't know what their calculus is, whether they're really planning to do them. They're politicians. Yeah. Uh, or they're looking for support from the electorate and that sort of thing. But um, it, it sounds undoable 
to me for many reasons, but we have to do something. I'm not sure that that huge infusion of economic adjustment is uh, the answer or even possible. And we saw that when uh, President Obama negotiated uh, and participated in the Paris Accord. Yes. He didn't bring it to the Senate. It would have failed in the Senate. Democrats would have voted against it, some of them in the Senate, okay? Uh, even though uh, they, Democrats tend to see climate change as a, an existential problem, it would have gotten them ensured that they weren't reelected to have ratified that treaty. So he, what he did was he took it to the United Nations and ratified it. Okay. And you had a lot of— a lot of, The Senate never ratified the thing. Not only the United States, like Kyoto, before that, before the Paris Accord. Yeah. I mean, uh, China was on the side, uh, and, and the U.S. was on the side, and Russia was on the side. Like, hey, wait a minute, we, we don't have enough detail here. Yeah. And so this is when it all ha happened. But I guess the concern, and this is a couple of callers came in who are uh, green people, as I call them. Uh, their concern is we've got to get united as a globe— global, all of the countries together working toward improving. And, and why are we rolling the dice here? Let's just move forward and get things changed and take the necessary steps to ward off potential. It, it's just change. not that simple. That's right. China. You mentioned China. Right. And they're building uh, electric charging stations yes. and solar, solar farms right. and that right. kind of thing. They're also putting up Every week, a new coal-fired generating plant. I didn't know that. They, they're they, the, they're they, the biggest emitter. Thousands of them over the past few years. Thousands of them. They're emitting more carbon in the atmosphere uh, but by some magnitude than we are. In fact, the Kyoto Accords, which, again, President Clinton did not bring to the Senate. Uh, they had a resolution to see how it would go, and it failed 95 to nothing. <laughs> Nobody would vote for it. Everybody, five wouldn't vote, okay? Uh, there's only one country that met the Kyoto goals, the United States, because we've switched from coal to gas because of the fracking revolution that's occurred in the last 10 years. So we are now at our, at, below our, our emission goals that were set at Kyoto. We're the only nation that did in the whole world. And... Uh, you know, this is just not politically not something that, I mean, when it comes down to changing, uh, getting rid of all the carbon, that's in the United States, literally millions of jobs connected either directly or indirectly with the use of carbon. It, this right. is almost everything you use in your daily life some way has, is impacted by the production of carbon and, and, and so on. And for a politician to begin voting, to take away the kind of, that standard of living from people, which is what'll happen, just isn't gonna happen. Well, it's not, not gonna happen in China, in right. India. The second biggest emitter is India. I was gonna say it's China, the United <laughs> States, and uh, India. And, and not only the, the impracticality, and that's what we're talking about to some extent of some huge shift in the economy, um, you gentlemen certainly remember not too long ago when most people thought we were going to run out of oil. Yes. Uh, th we're, we're lousy with oil on the planet Earth. There's plenty of oil, far more oil than anybody ever imagined. And the notion that we're not going to use those resources, uh, also with the thinking, which Joe was actually uh, talking about specifically a few minutes ago, this idea that um, climate change is writ large, not really that bad, we can handle it. That's a big part of the thinking among these people who have billions and billions and trillions of dollars invested in that part of making a, uh, an economy go. And to listen to these plans from the, the green folks, some of which are good, some of which we should really consider and do, but not. we can't do it tomorrow. It's not going to work. Okay. All right. I'm going to switch gears on us now. Uh, one last thing. Go ahead. If we were really serious, uh, I've, I can show you an article that uh, just astounded me. I saw a speech on YouTube, and I have an article by the same guy. He was the guy who was basically in charge of Obama's uh, uh, move 
to try to move us to uh, renewable energy. And his position is you can't do it with solar and, and wind, okay? Uh, because the amount of energy you get based on the total area you have to use to get it is way too big. So if we really were serious about dealing with global warming, we'd begin building nuclear plants as quickly as we can. They don't emit huh. any carbon. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. That's his position, okay? That's the guy who was supposed to do green energy for the Obama, or was directing the office in the EPA, was doing green energy for the Obama administration. That's his position now. Wow, interesting. Lots of options. That's not green. That's not green. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. I want to, Here's another topic that came up in the debate. Uh, the candidates took a position on it. It's, it's uh, on our immigration crisis that, in the southern border. Uh, the wall wasn't really brought up that often. That's if you think about Nobody's that. building it. Well, you've got some funds that have been relocated from well, the Pentagon. We, and we'll see what happens with them. But the, the only construction that's gone on is they've repaired some of the fences, I think, here and there. Right. There's not one, one foot of new wall that's been built. And, of course, the Republicans aren't talking about that. No. Um, no. And, and the Democrats uh, kept yakking at each other about and, stop framing this, you know, with Republican talking points. But uh, it, it, it's a mess. We, we need a compassionate, workable law that uh, people obey and having said that i i just don't i don't see much uh much movement toward that they, they seem deadlocked uh, yeah go ahead john um wall doesn't solve the current problem the wall was an idea that uh maybe would have worked when most of the people coming across the border were uh, people from poor barrios in mexico uh, because you can return them immediately. So the wall kind of keeps them out. The people who are coming now are coming are families uh, fleeing, uh, the claim is fleeing uh, uh, bad conditions, that their lives are threatened because of drug cartels and, and violence and so on going on Guatemala and Honduras right. and El Salvador. And they're coming for asylum. And under current U.S. law, once you step across the border, you have a right to have a hearing to see if you qualify for asylum. So these people come and surrender to the drug, to the uh, border agents, okay? Now, there are parts of the desert where you can build a wall and keep these people out, but you can't build a wall <laughs> along the, the Rio Grande River. <laughs> I was going to bring that <laughs> you up. You can't put it in the middle of the Rio Grande River. And I, if somebody gets across the river, halfway across the river, they're in the United States and they have a right to that trial under current U.S. law. And, wall doesn't solve and, the problem. And it's also a, a, a function of the focus on people talk about Ill illegal immigration and we're focused on our southern border. Um, part of the debate now, of course, is where to declare asylum. Democrats don't like the notion that in order to clean this up, you need to do it in the country you're leaving. Uh, it's very difficult to do, if not impossible in some instances. And when you talk about so-called illegal immigration, if, if you're going to build a wall uh, to the extent that that would help anything at all ever, you need to build a dome. Uh, all, all illegal immigrants don't come. There are plenty who come in on airplanes and they never leave. Not much is said about them because they're the, uh, what, the Norwegians or whatever that Trump was talking about, and, and nobody seems to care too much about them. Uh, the other thing that, that comes to mind with this is something that Andrew Yang mentioned the other night in the debate. And, of course, I love to read the fact checkers, and he's absolutely right. Uh, there's no immigrant taking your job. It's automation. He was, that's right. he was absolutely right about that. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a huge uh, Republican talking point. But as Joe said, uh, this, this is not, it's not working. Walls aren't going to do anything. Yeah. The economic studies say that if anybody is having trouble because their wages are affected by illegal immigrants, it's other illegal immigrants that are already here. People who have been here a long time who speak English have, a, have an advantage. And most of the people in South Central L.A. speak English really well. There was a really good movie with uh, Cheech Marin about, <laughs> about that <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, you know, you just, you know, that's the kind of people that get hired. And uh, 
there are all kinds of jobs that get created when new people come here. They need services. They need, uh, uh, and they buy stuff, and they, you know, they 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 earn money. Sometimes legally, sometimes illegally, but they earn money and they spend it in stores. It increases the amount of stuff and the number of jobs you need in stores. No. Yang Yang was absolutely correct. It's generally a positive. Yeah. For, for the yeah. country rather That's, than a negative. I thought that was a wonderful point he brought up. No, they, they, they pay taxes. Uh, they, they infuse money into the economy. They buy things. We're talking billions and billions of dollars in yes. the notion that um, for, for every one rapist who shows up from Guatemala or whatever, there are thousands and thousands of immigrants who are positively impacting Absolutely. everything that goes on here. Gentlemen, well, I'm going to have to cut us short. I'm sorry. My boss just walked in here, and he's giving me that evil sign here again i guess we're gonna to have to cut this one short i'm so sorry that hour went by fast i have uh, more to say bob i know you do you always do <laughs> that, <laughs> but we're gonna have you back both of you there'll be plenty of opportunities this is if, just the first round this is we got we got 15 months to go if my calendar's <laughs> accurate yeah, yeah. We'll be. <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure i want to thank both of you once again for taking time out and uh, addressing some of the uh, ideologies and statements that were made by the 20 candidates uh, vying for the presidency uh, uh, in, uh, representing the democratic party um, ladies and gentlemen that concludes tips for this uh, week um, you can listen to the program every friday at 3 p.m on kdxi 100.3 are rebroadcasted on Saturdays at 5 p.m. on that same channel, or you can take a look at our wonderful, I always like to say it's the, the Chip and Joe show. Uh, they smiling faces. They bring a lot to the table here, and they'll be back. Uh, trust me. I always call them and say, here we go. Uh, you can see them on Facebook, Twitter, um, on podcast, Podbean. Uh, there's a number of others. Uh, until next week, this is Bob Oxley saying goodbye for tips.